Nice must all be involved. Okay, three, two, one. Hello and welcome to another episode of Elite Rugby Banter, the podcast where we discuss all things rugby. Today I'm your host, Phil, and I'm joined by the, in a little bit of a more somber mood than usual, by Andrew up in Joburg and Ant in Cape Town. Andrew, how are you feeling after a weekend of relatively disappointing rugby? Um, all things considered, not too bad. The rest of the weekend wasn't so terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it got better from there, I hope. Yeah. Yeah. And, Ant, what about you? How How's life on your side of the world? I'm still trying to figure out how I feel about it. I think that's going to be the purpose of this, this call and podcast to try and figure out where, where, how sad I should be feeling about the performance. I feel like... Ant's, a bit of a therapy session, I think. I was just about to say, like, are you um, lounging back on a on a couch, like, are waiting for us to ask how you feel about things? Pretty much got my feet up, hands crossed across the chest. I see, you know, you've got your um, cardigan and glasses on, so you're looking very therapy-ish as well. I appreciate um, you buying into the, the vibe for this. Got my clipboard here that I can take some notes. So, um, yeah, I'll yeah. Uh, I'll be charging you accordingly then. <laughs> Amateur psychologist, so yeah, on the go here. But uh, we'll see how it goes. We have a couple of other things to discuss. And to start off, uh, the Junior Under-20 World Championship, which was held mostly in Cape Town, but other areas of the Western Cape, finished on Friday evening. Um, victory for the French and quite a resounding win over Ireland. In the end, they scored 50 points in the final, despite it being close at halftime. While our junior Springboks managed to come third and beat England in a result that surprised us, as last week we said there was a bit of a gap between them and England and we weren't expecting much. So that was a very good result from them. And on the other side of things, Japan, I think it was expected that they would lose the 11th, 12th playoffs, so they'll be relegated and won't take part in the next tournament. Um, yeah, and maybe to you, how do you feel about the tournament in general? We spoke quite a lot last week, so just to wrap up very briefly. Yeah, look, I mean, I think third is, is a good result, all things considered. Um, and if you particularly think about our first couple of matches, yeah, it really is nice to get a medal, I suppose, um, considering how poorly we started and we're playing. So maybe it just really talks back to our point around them being undercooked going into the tournament. You know, they needed a couple of games to really kind of find their feet. And, you know, that's obviously an advantage that the Northern Hemisphere sides had. Um, so yeah, I mean, surprised that we ended up there, but, but glad we got some kind of result in the end. Yeah, for sure. And, um, Andrew, were you surprised, surprised by the, the extent of the results in the final? France putting 50 past Ireland and just how dominant they were in the whole tournament, I guess. Well, this is <clears throat> France's third under 20 title in a row in consecutive competitions on consecutive years because of COVID. But their, their youth system seemed to be pumping out exceptionally good national sides. Uh, it was still a bit I mean, of a especially surprise. If, yeah. Especially if you consider that, that, you know, the last one they won was 2020, you know, so from 20, sorry, 2019. So that's mm-hmm. 2018, 19 and 23. Yeah. So that's like a six year span. Yeah. Which makes it even more impressive, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. And given the strength of their 
obviously the national team and being favorites for the World Cup this year, it's it's kind of scary. And perhaps this era of dominance of a team like France, who have obviously never won a World Cup, is potentially on the horizon for them. Obviously, things can change, but there's definitely uh, room for optimism if you're a French fan. And perhaps even for neutrals, they do play quite a quite an expansive and exciting uh, style of rugby, even at that under-20 level. But uh, yeah, moving think, on, sorry, yeah, and no, I was just going to say they they did make some very conscious academy decisions about five ten years ago, limiting the number of foreign players in their academies, particularly with younger ages. And you know, they I think they did quite a deliberate set of conscious actions to try and improve their their rugby from from a young age, and you, you're seeing that coming through. But I think the scary thing is that you know Dupont and Intermac and they were all part of that 2018 class, and now they're obviously the backbone of the French side. And if you think that now they've won another one. They've got a whole new crop of a whole new generation of potentially world dominant players that mean that they might dominate for the next six years as well, which is quite scary. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't think uh, at that level, sometimes it doesn't always translate, but we haven't seen since New Zealand back in the sort of 2008, 2009, 2010 era, we haven't seen a, a set of junior teams be as dominant. So we'll see if it comes through. But um, there's a, a long way to go before some of those young players can even, you know, make their mark. But maybe not. Sometimes players come straight through. Well, considering half of their team is already playing for top 14 sides, I mean, that was the stat we shared the other day. Like, they're already playing senior rugby. For sure. And speaking of senior rugby, um, getting to the rugby championship this weekend. So we'll start in chronological order, I think. So going to Mount Smart, which is just about in Auckland, in Albany, on the sort of more outskirts of Auckland, I believe, uh, where the All Blacks played the Springboks in this, which we spoke a bit about last week in terms of the preparation for it and what we expected. So it obviously didn't go the Springboks way and New Zealand came out on top in a relatively convincing victory in the end. But um, in terms of first impressions, before we get into some more of the detail, let's, uh, let's start with you, Andrew. First impressions, how do you feel after the match? Well, no one wins in Auckland, do they? Um <laughs> doesn't really matter where you're playing, apparently. I think we really hoped that Mount Smart would take away that hoodoo. But I sort of feel similar to Ant in a way that if you take away that first 16 minutes, um, and this is the excuse that every Bok fan is using this weekend to try and make themselves feel better, but really we, we were asleep at the wheel in the first 15, 16 minutes. But thereafter, playing a chasing game against New Zealand, who is our biggest rival and probably you know, one of the three favorites for the World Cup along with us in France. Um, it wasn't bad. No, no, I don't, I don't have sex anymore. So <laughs> maybe. And, the, and there are quarterfinals at the real World Cup, not the exactly. 20s. <laughs> no, so I, I think, you know, all things considered, the box are going to learn more from a defeat to New Zealand at this stage for the World Cup, which is what really matters, than they sure. were out of a scraping a win, I think. So there's positives to come out of it. Some of our players are terrible. Some of them are rusty. Some of them managed to, you know, make a name for themselves. So ach, there's lots to talk about, but um, obviously disappointing to lose to New Zealand. I don't think that's the end of Bok Rugby, as some uh, shitty podcasts might like to have you think. Um, so, yeah, I'll leave it at that for a while and let uh, someone else talk. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ads, just first impressions from you uh, in in a nutshell. 
I mean, very similar feelings. Like, I think there's, I mean, there are so many talking points. Obviously, the All Blacks were amazing for the first 20. But how much of it was that us just not having our hands in the ball? And then, you know, we kind of came back in and dominated the next 40 minutes or so. And then kind of the last 20, it went a bit weird. You know, players were on and off form. The ref was very weird. Um so, so yeah, it's just really hard to kind of get a read on where we should be feeling, and which is bizarre considering we, you know, we lost by fifteen points. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think if you, if we compare this with, uh, I think twenty nineteen before the last World Cup, there was at least a lot more outspoken focus on how big that game was in New Zealand. Um, with the first match of the World Cup being against New Zealand and being able to gain that psychological advantage, so obviously that result went better. But the World Cup match itself didn't go as well. But uh, I don't think there was as much pressure from within the camp. So as this was pretty much the first game for the majority of the squad, you know, like other than Kitchup and Malherba uh, and Billy, it, it, it did look like there was, Bongi. and Bongi, yeah, it did look like, you know, they, obviously we saw that first 15 minutes, they weren't quite on the ball. Um, and yeah, I, I guess we'll go into more individual performances, but it did, the, maybe a little bit of a worry for me is some of those players who might not necessarily be first choice, but, uh, we would hope for more of an impact, just struggling a little bit. But uh, it was the first game and the first kickout, so to speak. So I think that there's there's a lot less worry in that performance. Things will get better from here. Yeah, I mean, I think one would hope we would we won't be that out of sorts for the first ten minutes of the game again. Um, I think just speaking about the players, I think it, it is. That's probably my biggest cause for concern or not in that a couple of our, our star players, if you want to think about it that way, the guys that really peaked at the last World Cup, um, haven't been on form for the last two years or so. Guys like DDA, guys like, um, Bongi, Mimpi. um, okay. you know, there's, there's a handful of guys that just really haven't quite hit the heights. I mean, they haven't been poor. But they haven't been, they've been five out of tens. And, you know, obviously you, you know, you need to have six, seven, eight out of tens to, to, to be competitive. And it's worrying that they're not there. And I think that's where the concern comes in is that, oh, this coach is going to be loyal to these players, hoping they come right. Mm. Because we do, as last week proved, have really, really strong options yeah. waiting up, you know, like you've got a guy like Quacho who, you know, you can't fault with energy levels, but he just wasn't effective. But you've got a guy like Marcus and Staden and potentially Khaleesi to replace him. You know, DDA was definitely not the force. It hasn't been the force for the last two years, but you've got Esther Hayden. You've got Kirtley yeah. Lawrence's replacement. You know, so we have, we have strong options. And I suppose the question is, you know, how bold do you think the coaches will be to pick those other options when the time comes? Yeah. I, I think in the, within the squad, there's definitely enough depth. So I think a lot of the, the big decisions, like you say, from the coaching staff, those, that's going to be so crucial. And there's there's been so much emphasis on the bomb squad and getting the impact of the bench right, but almost too much emphasis, perhaps, as we saw from the poor start this weekend. Um, but yeah, let's quickly let's quickly talk about some positives. I think just to start off with. So Andrew, maybe from you, if they, whether it's players or individual parts of the game that you were really happy with, what, what do you think? Oof. Um, <clears throat> I think it's we, that bad. We, <laughs> I'm trying to think of specifics. Um, in, in a more general sense, once we started to get 
back to what we do best, which is dominating up front and earning the go forward, we looked really, really strong and New Zealand was scampering. Um, so that made me feel, you know, confident that we can get back there. And I trust this coaching staff to, to run with that on an individual level. Cheson Colby came out for me really, really strong. Uh, he showed he's a world class finisher on the right wing. He played really well. He looked for work. Um, he wasn't, well, we weren't all that solid under the high ball as a team. I don't think I could single Cheson out for that, but quite a few drop balls at the high ball. The most memorable, obviously, was DDA, uh, with that shocking drop. And at least he recovered it, but still. Um, but I mean, Visa and, and Dwilly were in that camp as well. So, I mean, there yeah, were three yeah. backfield yeah. players drop the ball absolutely cold. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I don't know. No, I was, I was going to say something negative. Let's focus on positives. <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah, positives from your I mean, side. I think it's it it it's hard to isolate anything as particularly positive because there was a lot of stuff that I looked for us to do that I think we didn't quite do. You know, like we didn't contest the lineup at all, which was weird. Yeah. Um, but they also their wall didn't get moving at all, so that was I mean that's a positive. Their scrum, you know, I think we were probably hoping to be a bit more dominant scrum time, but you know that was pretty even. I think, I think for the most part, things went well, even in those first 20 minutes. Um, you know, I think there was just a series of just really, really unlucky things to happen over and over and over that worked against us. <laughs> you know, sure. there were like a whole bunch of 50-50 tackles that they happened to break every single one of. That's unusual. Um, you know, every single 50-50 knock-on call went their way. Every single aerial collision, the ball bounced to their team. You know, so it was just a lot of weird, just a lot of unluckiness uh, over and over and over and over that I think compounded to make it feel a lot worse than it actually was. You know, that that first try to Aaron Smith, if Vili really holds on to Will Jordan on the floor for an extra half a second, that's a penalty to us. You know, like... They were attacking for four minutes before they finally got through and scored because we were re- re- really holding them in defense despite all their half breaks. Yeah. Um, you know, I think you, you get one more, you get just one dominant hit in that entire process and it falls apart. That attack falls apart. Um, so I don't think, I think it's, it was maybe, yeah, just, a, it was a lot more just kind of rustiness and system errors. Sorry, rustiness and player like mistakes yeah. rather than, fundamentally any problem in what we were doing. Yeah, I think, I think that was proven once, you know, once we kind of got our hands on the ball, then it was even. Yeah. I think there were definitely periods of defense which were quite outstanding and that's definitely a positive where managed to sort of, um, you know, uh, take wave after wave of attack and never really looked like they were going to um, break through. Like so their tries and their major breaks came more from deeper and out of nothing rather than that sustained period of play, like close to the line. Um, one little thing that I was quite impressed with, and I think it has been getting better. Maybe this is my bias, so you can call me out on it, but uh, Vili's kicking, like the exit kicking was really good. Like he seems uh, to be getting, yeah. a, he's getting a lot more, um, yeah, just more ground on his kicks. Like I think the one almost led to a try because they were able to take a quick line out. So maybe he should have kicked it a bit further out, but he's definitely sort of improved in that area. Um, and that's helping a lot. 
And then Kitschoff, I guess we're pretty used to it by now, but, you know, him being able to make a couple of like crucial turnovers at, at, you know, really important times. It felt a bit less so here because normally after that we would, you know, then give away another silly penalty somewhere else or drop the ball or make an error. Yeah. But those still happening and especially with the, with Quacha not quite making as much of an impact, um, as, you know, we would expect from our, number seven in that or number six in that role so uh yeah just those are some positives for me so yeah moving on yeah yeah this is the long list (laughs) so like yeah i think let's start with like major concerns like the things that like Ant said, a lot of this is down to rustiness. So some of that can be looked past in first game of the season, as mentioned before. But again, you, we can criticize individual players if you want or specific things happening. But um, Andrew, if you have to start on the negatives, this is your time to vent a little. <laughs> um, for me, one of the major issues was Damien Willemser at 10. I haven't seen yeah. a whole lot of people talking about this Post game, but for me, they've backed him at 10 at the Springboks. The Stormers have not, um, and he hasn't played for eight months. So, I mean, you do have to bear that in mind when you're criticizing him. But in terms of playing a fly horse role on the field, he, he just wasn't given that responsibility or he didn't take that responsibility. 80% of the time, Vili LaRue was playing fly half and fullback at the same time. Uh, he was playmaking. He was doing the kicking. If we were kicking for touch, Faf de Klerk took it half the time and he missed one. He wasn't kicking for goal. So his identity as a fly half was completely like taken away from him. Um, I, I don't know how much impetus or sort of blame to put on him versus the coaching and, and how they wanted to run the game. But for me, that was a massive problem. Um, when Vili stepped in, he does it well, but he can't be expected to be a fly half and a fullback the entire time. You know, every now and again to link in is fine, but. That that was problematic for me. I don't know what you guys thought. It's it, it's really interesting because I mean this sounds like exactly the same conversation about Willemser we had in what 2018 when he came on the scene. But, yeah, he was a hotshot, yeah. hotshot superstar fly off at school. But that's just because he was faster and could step everybody. He's never been able to manage a game or distribute a ball. He's not a tactical kicking player, and he's not even a bringing. You know, like Quade Cooper is not a tactical masterclass, but he brings other players into the game. Willemser doesn't do that. Willemser is a run first, step his way, and then hope for a miracle ball to get other players into the game. Like, that's just the way he plays, which is much better from fullback or from 12. And, I mean, you know, we had this these literal exact same comments six, yeah. seven years ago, and he hasn't developed that ever, probably because he plays mostly at 12 or 15 at franchise level. And it's only in the last year at Springboks they're like, shit, we need to probably develop this game if he's going to be the France Dane role. But he hasn't. And I think backing him to try and do this now, that, you know, we saw this the last year, sort of in the year two, he doesn't, and I think Andrew highlighted this really well, but he doesn't do any of the things a flower could do, should do. So what is he doing there? You know, like what is he bringing to the team to make up for the fact he doesn't play his kick, line kick, clear kick, uh, distribute the ball. Like, what is he bringing in that case? Why don't you just play Estes in a 10 and then have at least two useful bodies on the carry? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's such a problem which hasn't been solved. Um, and like you say, that lack of sort of synergy between what's happening at, uh, franchise level at the Stormers and what's happening at Springboks doesn't help either, really. Um, 
And having him as second choice with Pollard injured, obviously, hopefully with Pollard back and, you know, him taking the reins, number 10 will solve a lot of that issue. But it's, he might not be there for the World Cup. We don't know what's going to happen. So having that as the next best option is definitely not ideal. Um, but that's why I, I think, I think that we should kind of now be like, oh, your role is 23 and really only a break. In break off if emergency fly half, just like Franz Stein was. You know, he got called on at yes. once yeah. at 10, but generally he's going to come off the bench at 12 or 15 to make that impact. And, you know, so we, you know, like we did the last World Cup, like Franz Stein was never going to start this final if Pollard was injured. It was going to be Yankees. Yep. So That's I think the call. point now is we need to get Lebok as many games at 10 to develop that game management in that system. We'd be Park, Willems, and be like, look, you're a really, let's just hope it never comes to that option situation um yeah yeah, yeah. I, I, and i i think films is not he's not a starting test level control pen yeah i mean one of our big questions from last year was where does films fit in when everyone's fit and we haven't seen that yet because you know everyone hasn't been fit at the same time but it is looking more and more like billy 15 pollard 10 dl and at Right now, at least at 12. Um, like you said, Esther Hazen's making some movement there, but Vili, uh, I mean, uh, Willemsa as that utility back is looking like the best bet and it's having Libok come on a bit. Yeah. Gives him the backup option. Yeah. I'd, I'd be quite keen to see, uh, uh Willemsa now. I think we've kind of comfortable with Vili as the first choice at the end of your tour and now these two games. I mean, Vili at fullback is the first choice, but let's play Libok at 10, Willemsa at 15. For the two games against Argentina, the Libok gets the game starters and we, Willemser could then practice the 15 role where he might still actually be in the running against Vili. Like, if, if he's going to start, I think that's the only place he starts. But give him some, some run time there because we know Vili's brilliant and he's, he's got that jersey pretty much nailed, you know? That's what I like to hear. Andrew? I just wanted to, just wanted to make sure full smile. <laughs> yeah. yeah Willemser at, at 2023 20, also just allows us the option of that 6 2 bench split. Having that versatility on the bench. Um, so he's super useful in that sense. But then again, do you want to do that with a Pollard if you're not sure he's going to be fully reliable, like fully fit for the game? Uh, cause if he goes down, then you're stuck with Willemser. You know, if Pollard is going to be 70, 30 or something come World Cup time, you may have to have Monty Lubbock on the bench to cover a specialist fly half after this. So, I mean, that's, we're talking down the line now. I mean, we're straying from the game at hand, but it's just all, all different things to consider. Just while we're on, while we're on think, the back line. Sorry, Andrew, you want to weigh in? Uh, no, yeah, I was just going to say, like, I don't think you need to plan for injuries too much. Like, Pollard, if he goes down to the 60th minute, whatever, that is what it is. You play Willemser and you just ride that out at that point. You know, I think Valimsa offers a lot more off the bench than Lebok because Lebok only covers 10. If you've got Grant Williams and Valimsa, you can then have Valimsa to cover, Grant Williams to cover nine in wings, and you can have Valimsa to do 10, 12, 13, 15. Yeah. Because I'm, it happened again in this game that it really hacks me yeah. off that, you know, you take Mapimpi off and now you shift yeah. 10 yeah, to 12, gonna... 12 to 13, 13 <laughs> to 14, 14 to 11, and you're like, is your whole fucking defensive alignment gone? That's like, going to be my bring Valimsa my... in. <laughs> Yeah. At the injured position. Like that as a negative, just like the change from bringing mm-hmm. Levok on and moving, like messing up the whole back line again, as we did against Wales and moving, I think it was Amrit to the, uh, left wing. Yeah. Was it against Wales or was it against New Zealand? I think it was against New Zealand as well last year. 
maybe again, but I'm, it definitely happened against Wales as well. So maybe even like the third time, but shifting like everybody in the back line out of where they started to accommodate some, an injury or someone coming off the bench. It's really not a good thing that's happening. And we saw with, um, like, um, probably not his fault with the cross kick, but like, if you're an outside center and you suddenly get shifted to, you know, cover left wing, you're going to get probably just not be as comfortable in that role on defense. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I think, I think that's Willems' value on the bench and that he can cover 10, 12, 13, 15, slotting straight in. Mm-hmm. And that should be the situation. Liverpool can't fill that five man role. Yeah. Andrew? Yeah, I, I was going to also bring up that uh, situation with Lukanu Am, and I, I do put that, not not blame on him. I mean, he's an outside centre being asked to play wing. I put that blame on the coaching staff persisting with this silly idea. He left a gaping hole on his left wing by charging inside, trying to cover defence. So, yeah, it is what it is. Um, I, I'd like to see Willemse played at 15 at least one of the games coming up. And I think mm. I'd like to see him not necessarily start, but I'd like to see him get some time uh, in a 10-12 combination as well with Le Boc, Um just to okay. see how he does at 12. And they, they, they play together plenty of the Stormers. They have great chemistry. Um, why not see what they can do against an Argentinian side who, I mean, they, they beat Australia, but they're, uh, I watched the game and I'm not worried about them. Let's put it that way. I think yeah. that's fair. I think there is, you know, the closeness, the, the big gaps in the first week's results and the closeness of the second week's results show that there's a, there's, a, there's two tiers in the rugby championship, and I think that's that's fair. But yeah, I think you know they play play Lebok ten Willems or fifteen for the first game, and then bring Willems off the bench at like fifty minutes at twelve for the second game. Yeah, um, you know, it's just so they can have that kind of combo time. But you know, I think the key point is for me, this is showing that Pollard is obviously hands down no arguments, still the first choice ten, and yeah. Lebok needs to now be fully backed as the second choice ten. Sure, I think we can all agree with that. Um, I don't, I don't particularly want to single out individual players for criticism, but, uh, I was, I was really disappointed this week. Um, and I don't know if he was targeted specifically, but, uh, Bongi missed more tackles than he made. And when he did miss the tackles, they were crucial times. I think like at least two of them led directly to line breaks. So I don't know, like I said, uh, if he was particularly targeted by the likes of Frizzell, um, Jordan, like going at him in the defensive line, but he was exposed and he didn't bring enough in terms of, uh, you know, even the solidness, let alone like the physical impact that we would hope from. Um, so yeah, he made three tackles, missed four. That's not good enough. And he was just, um, yeah, just disappointing, I think. Um, and it's a tough one when you have, and like this happened the whole of last year, maybe even the last couple of years, like bringing off one of the best hookers in the world, if not the best, like marks off the bench. We know he's such a good impact player, but given how good he is, like it's always going to be a conversation of, do we just try and start marks and play him as much as we could, like uh, Argentina do with Montoya and get like almost 80 minutes out of him? I think you have to. Like at this point in, in the games, you really want to win. You have to. There's, there's now, there didn't used to be such a drop off between Marx and Bongi. I mean, Marx was always seen as the better of the two, but Bongi was still a world class hooker. Yeah. Bongi and Dweber are no longer like, like close to Marx. So for yeah. me, that requires a tactical rethink. 
Yeah, I, I think that's the key point in that when they were even-ish, you could get away with playing them for 45, 35 minutes. Now that they, they're not, Marks has to start and he has to get the, the lion's share of the minutes. You know, so I'm, I'm fine with against Argentina again to persist with Bongi. Hopefully he can find some form. Mm-hmm. But he needs to bring that grunt in the physicality. He's never been the most dynamic mobile player in the wider channels. And, you know, that's, I think, probably New Zealand we're targeting. And, but, you know, he was exposed. So if Marks can and does go 60, 70 minutes again, that's what we need to do for the you know, quarterfinal, semifinal, final, I think. I'm happy to, for them to all be rotated until then. But for the playoff games, Marks is in the driving chair getting the majority of the minutes. Yeah, for sure. And we don't have... um you know, uh, a good third option. No one's challenging Bongi for a spot in the, in the match day 23. And so more than happy to, you know, have him in there, but hopefully, like you say, you can pick up some form. There's still, you know, I think you said we have two games against Argentina. There's still the warm up in New Zealand against New Zealand and England. We still have, even though the world cup, is, you know, like 90 days. Still away four games. Yeah. And we've got like three months till the world cup, but that's plenty of time, hopefully for good things to happen within the block camp. Yeah, I mean, I think that's my biggest concern is, and I mentioned it already, is, is the, that lack of form in our senior players, mm-hmm. or some of our senior players. You know, you, you saw someone like Peter Steff. He was also in that category last year, but he's really risen to it. Dwayne's yeah. really risen to it. But yeah. guys like Didier Bongi, Mavimpi, they, they're still in that same kind of slump. Um, and they need to, I don't know if four games is going to re- fix it because it hasn't, it's been a present issue for a couple of years. Sure. Um, of them not firing at the level they need to be. You know, like, I'm, I'm just not firing at 100%, but I don't doubt that he'll get back there. It's a recent club. Um, he's just back from injury. But like someone like Jelendi, it's been a while since he's fired on all cylinders. Yeah. What about someone, again, don't want to be too reactionary after one match, but super disappointed in the lack of physicality, at least... I mean, it was there, but it just wasn't as impactful from Jasper Visa as number eight. Um, mm-hmm. and we still have, we still have Dwayne as an option, even though, you know, he's obviously 37, I think it is now. And, but he showed in that first match against Australia that he sort of still has it. And I would probably consider him a safer option, but I'm hoping to see more from Visa. And I would still like to see Visa start at number eight and have Vermeulen as a more of a squad option. But were you concerned with his performance? I think the whole Lustra really didn't bring, I'm not going to say any impact, but almost none. Visa was not dominant in the carry, which was meant to do any, his, his kind of inaccuracies slipped back into his game. Mostert I barely noticed and Quacha I noticed, but unfortunately for the wrong reasons. Like Quacha was very present because he's an energetic, energetic player, but he was just doing silly things and costing us more than he was helping us. You know, and then he obviously got that try at the end as a cl- classic Quacha thing. But I think this game also kind of solidified that Quacha is a bench option. He's not a starter. You bring him on in the last 20 minutes where he can just be energetic and run around, but he doesn't have the impact for the first 40, 50 minutes that, that we want our open side to have. Yeah. I think Quacha's fallen into a trap of being in between six and eight now for me. He, he used to be more of a classic six, ball playing six, making steals, being a nuisance at the ruck. And he's now sort of bulked up a bit, morphed into more of a carrier. I mean, when he, when he first started, people were saying like, oh, Quaka could ca- cover wing or like outside center. Like you would, you probably wouldn't say that anymore, really. Um, 
I had I had less concern about Visa to be honest. Um, uh, watching the game, I thought he actually did have some impact and some go forward. Um, he wasn't as good as we've seen him before. He wasn't on Dwayne's level from last week. Uh, keeping the opposition in mind, of course. But I think he he has a higher ceiling than Dwayne does at the at the moment. Dwayne might be the safer option, but I think we need to back Visa and let him rediscover some form. He was one of those players this week who I felt were just casualties of. Game time and rustiness. Um, yeah, you know. I completely agree. I'm not. I'm not concerned about Jasper. Yeah. Just like I'm not really concerned about Mostert. But I think Kocha. Yeah. You know, I think he's kind of showing his bench. Jasper, Jasper, I'm happy for us to, to give him some more game time, get his form. Okay. You know, just back up a little bit. So, so given the concern, um, if push came to shove and we were playing our first big match in the World Cup against Ireland tomorrow and Kulisi was injured, who would you want to see then? Would you want to see Marco van Staden? Andrew? Van Staden, Peter Stefan, Dwayne. And, okay. Same, same for you, Andrew? On current form. Yeah, I can't argue with that. It's a strange one because like Marco van Staden played really well last week and I think he, every time he's played for the Springboks, I think he's never been below like a six out of 10. But, um, yeah, he's, he's definitely right there, you know, as a talking point now. So it could come to that. We don't know exactly how Khaleesi's recovery is going. Um, but it's, yeah, Quacker, like, like Ant said, that's a bit of a concern at the moment. So hopefully. Um, things will get better and we'll see, uh, improved performance if he, if Quacker plays in two weeks. But, uh, yeah, that's definitely a talking point going forward. Um, the bench was pretty good. And I think Marco from Sparta just plays more similarly to Khaleesi, um, sure. which is then a kind of what you want. He does. I agree. In terms of, yeah, providing, uh, ball in hand, but also, yeah, just a bit of he, everything he hits that Khaleesi rocks, does, you know. Yeah. Quacha yeah. doesn't move bodies at rock time. Unfortunately not. Uh, yeah. He, as much as we don't like to, you know, say that size is everything, I think Quacha's size there means that he's just not as impactful. No, it's the same with Dion Free. Like Dion Free doesn't move bodies. Yeah. Which is what we need in our first 60. Someone who does move bodies and quite easily at that is um, Echia Sneeman. And he came off the bench and made a pretty, pretty dominant impact. I think uh, he was one of the other positives for me, saying that, you know, we've hardly seen him in a green and gold jersey at all. But uh, in a in a tough situation where you're coming off the bench and your team is down, he was a player who really put his hand up. Um, would you ever be tempted to think about giving him a start in a big game? In a big game, I mean, certainly, I don't think he's going to let us down. He's a he's a class player, and that's why Munster kept him on for so long and are valuing him playing minutes with him. And I think the box have the same approach. He's barely played any rugby for years, but everyone knows how good he can be, and he's showing he's taken no time to get back to form. Uh, Lurt, again, maybe a casualty of being rusty, looked okay. Uh, but he's not guaranteed his place there. I think, uh, I'd, I'd really like to see, uh, if I'm, I'm assuming Eben gets some sort of compassionate leave now in South Africa to be with his family. And I wouldn't mind seeing a Jean Klein and Afghis Neyman, uh, combination yeah. in the next two games. That's a good call. Yeah. And? Yeah. No, I completely agree. I mean, I think 
Lewis is probably one of the players that's maybe a bit more under threat. He also hasn't quite fired the last year or two. I mean, he's also had a lot of injuries. But Snayman's, I mean, he's just come back with a vengeance this year and he's, he's hard to leave out at this point. Um, I don't know how impactful Lewis will be off the bench. Yeah. But I mean, I'd be quite happy if, the, I mean, based on the last two weeks and fair enough, like, let's give it some time. But, you know, you start Etzebeth and Snayman and you bring Klein off the bench. Like, that's a pretty, pretty formidable, um, set of locks. Um, so I'm not, I'm not concerned there because we do have strong options. Yeah, we do. Um, yeah. And one of the things that, uh, and that you mentioned earlier on was that it looked like we didn't really compete in the lineouts at all. So would you say that we are deliberately holding a lot of things back or just that it was the first game and we're still settling in together as a squad? Or, you know, it is a World Cup year and these sort of things happen where you don't want to show your cards too much before the big time. Um, so there's, yeah, th- those sort of questions. Do you think we're going to see quite a lot of um, sort of shadow and cloak strategies from all teams, not just the Springboks? I don't know. It wasn't something I thought of until I read it, uh, someone take, making a take today. I was like, shit, that is actually super strange. Um, because that's normally, you know, such a strong part of our game. So it is that that's weird. I don't know if it was just that they were playing too quickly for us or we were deliberately trying to stop malls rather than worrying about the, the ball. I mean, look, they did jump at, at front ball a lot and we traditionally don't contest at front ball. So maybe we just kind of got lulled by that. Um, but it was just, it was generally quite weird. Um, hopefully it's going to come World Cup time. We do see a bit more contesting because we have the, the jumpers and the lifters to do that. Yeah, um, we do. And it's one of our, because it's one of our strengths, I think there's definitely at least something in the tank there, if not, you know, a whole lot more. So it will be interesting to see the progression from now in, you know, in, like you said, those four games before the World Cup, how, how that shifts and then those big games against Ireland and, um, Scotland in the World Cup, but we also have Tonga. Uh, didn't mention one of the other results was that Tonga beat Australia A on the Friday night our time or Saturday morning. Um, and that, that raises a, a whole host of possibilities. I think normally we would think about playing sort of our B, more B team in the two weaker games in the pool and then the two, the A team against Scotland and Ireland. But do you think we'll have to do a bit more of a, a mix and match against a team, especially if they carry on improving before in their month before the World Cup, like Tonga? Um, Andrew? I remember what? Oh, and? <laughs> we have an Okay. Um, That's... I, think, I think with us, um, the gap between an A team and a B team is becoming a bit superficial. Like the fact that we can talk about all these different options and how we have established class players who might get usurped by younger players who are showing form. But we're no longer sure really who the A and the B team are. I mean, the coaches might have a set idea in their heads, but they need to be somewhat flexible in their thinking to take advantage of someone like Kirtley Lawrence's form, for instance. Uh, I, I don't know. Is Yeah. We we seem to know before this weekend roughly who the A team was, but I think that idea of an A team and a B team is changing. It's more of a squad mentality at the moment. So I'm not so worried um, about mixing and matching. And Ant, 
Yeah, I think I think we must just be careful because remember what happened the last time we had Tonga in our pool and took them lightly. Came very mm-hmm. close. Uh, yeah, so very, very I think stressful. you know I, I think Andrew's comment is quite clear that, that like there just is that, that the gap between the A and the B is quite small, and I think maybe through those four pool games we can just rotate a bit more um, rather than having a strict one one squad one squad policy. Yeah, I mean it's going to be super interesting um, to see exactly the tactics and the strategy that will happen. But uh, there is a two week break now in between this game. Uh, from the New Zealand side, was there anything that stood out for you guys? Um, perhaps also in, whether it's strategy in terms of holding things back or particular players who stood up. I mean, for, for me, I, even if it's against the Springboks, I love seeing Will Jordan play. And when he's playing well, even, you know, scoring tries against the Springboks, it's like a, a joy, uh, seeing him do what he's capable of. Anything particular from your guys side? I mean, Phil, the, the breakdown pod called Will Jordan the best wing in the world right now. What do you think about yeah. that? You know, my, my feeling is he's actually a better 15 and he just thrives on broken play where you don't need to be a wing to thrive. Yeah. What do you think? So, so I think the, at, at, uh, super rugby level, him at 15 is a no brainer, but the way, especially for New Zealand that they use him, um, and have someone like Barrett at fullback. And then because he's so good in the air, partly from, you know, being a fullback, we saw how effective he was, uh, contesting the high ball against our wings or specifically Mapimpi, um, on Saturday. It provides, uh, such a, such a weapon on that side of the field for him to be able to use his obviously pace and acceleration, but then his prowess in the air as well. Um, yeah, he's obviously so good at broken play, but I don't think you lose anything. So I'm trying to, you know, as you said that, I was trying to think of who I would consider the best wings in the world. Um, obviously Colby has things that he, he doesn't. Colby's more elusive. Colby's, I would say, just about more agile. If you gave him a smaller space, he'd be able to make something more out of it. But I would say he's right up there as a wing. And I understand him, New Zealand using them, him there at 14. Um, and, and I think at international level, it works. You know, they used Ben Smith a lot at 14, who mm. I, I think that decision, like instinctively, it sounds terrible, but it also worked partly for similar reasons to, you know, they're using Jordan. Mm. When you've got a player like Jordan, who's just, I don't know, he, he, I think he, I mean, he plays the game in 4D or something. He's just does, is in the right places and just makes stuff. You know, like that try that he set up, that first try, like he had no rights to score to set that up. Like he just kind of got the ball, got tackled, didn't get tackled and then just kind of ghosts his way through the line. Like he's deceptively fast, deceptively elusive rather than steppy. He just kind of glides past people. Um, and he's done it so consistently for so long now that you have to capitalize on that ability. Um, if you're the New Zealanders, you know, and I think they don't need him at 15 to try and play the playmaker creation role. They just need him on the field to just kind of pop up where he thinks there's going to be a try because he just does it so well. You know, like that, that, that try that he did score. I mean, that no one else would have read that play, but he just saw it, ran it, called it and scores. Um, he's yeah. just. Frustratingly good <laughs> at rugby, yeah. 
And I think the other player who really put his hand up, especially in that first half, um, who we have, you know, spoken a bit more negatively about on, on this pod, but he sent, he turned, he somehow turned into John Alomu on the left wing there for a moment was Shannon Prezel. Um, he really put his hand up and put in a super physical performance. He, he ran over Vili Leroux, unfortunately, um, for his try. Uh, but yeah, like we spoke about him last week because he had a good game last week, but also said, you know, the real test will be this week if he could turn in a big performance against a physical pack like the Springboks. And at least for the first, first half an hour, he was able to do that. Yeah, he did kind of seem to drop off in the second half when we actually started showing up. But for those tw- first 20 minutes, I mean, he was very physical and playing really well. I mean, it was that one just, Horrific handoff he did. I don't know who it was on, but he just kind of just batted someone away like they were nothing. Um, and it was obviously very effective on the wide channels. For me, Frizzell's a bully, like whether it's in his, in his personal or professional life. Like he, I, I don't mind them playing him there because he will have those brain fade moments. It's just who he is. And he did have a couple, uh, in, in the game against the Springboks as well with high tackles and, silly stuff off the ball and he does fade out of games and fade back in. But I mean, you can't take away the fact that he had a barnstorming first, first half and it was a large between him and Jordan, like a large amount of the the momentum came through, through those two. Um, and that basically set the game. So he had a cracking game. You can't take that away from him, but I still don't think he's, you know, in, in the talk about the top three blind sides in the world or something like that. It's just, I don't think he's in the league. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he played well, but I don't think he's incredible. You know, he played well when we weren't on the ball. But once we got the ball and the game kind of evened up a bit, I, as I said, I didn't really see him after the first half an hour. So I think um given uh the performance on the end of year tour against France that we obviously had a defeat in, and then this game against New Zealand, coming back to the question of who would you prefer to play Let's let's say we win the group, beat Ireland, hopefully. And who would you prefer to play in the quarterfinal, France or New Zealand? Would it still be New Zealand? Because I think that's where it was before this weekend. So maybe has anything changed? Sure. It's like a toss-up game. Um, <laughs> I I think we would. I think we know how to beat New Zealand. More so than we do France. France are more unpredictable. So I, I would say we, we want New Zealand rather. Especially in oh, France. Makes sense. And you agree? I think, and I'm going to say this just for left field options. <laughs> I think if we beat France in France, we lose any kind of support from the French crowd. <laughs> Obviously. So let's rather not knock them out in the, uh, quarters and we can hopefully be France's favorite, like the hometown favorites <laughs> mm. outside of France. You know, like J- Japan, they got really behind the Springboks for whatever reason. I think they, maybe there's that kind of affinity. It was out of respect too. They were like, wow, you guys were so amazing when you beat us. Like when I yeah, was walking around with my Springbok shirt, there people just, you know, just being like, congratulations, well done. You guys were so good against us. I don't think you would get but, that with France. I agree. Yeah. I was going to say, I think <laughs> the, the Japanese are respectful and, and lovely and the French are vindictive and horrible. <laughs> <laughs> they would resort to just burying us at every opportunity. 
So I think let's let's say we've played New Zealand purely that we if we do win at least we still maintain the the support of the crowd. For the rest of the also, <laughs> hopefully, like fingers crossed, if that happens, beat New Zealand in the quarterfinal and set up that ultimate uh, final against France in the final. Like that would be something ridiculous. Yeah. Okay, so, um, yeah, I don't know, Ant, if you're feeling any better, but what are your, you know, <laughs> final, final thoughts, final takeaways from, from the match before we fi- finish up with a look to Argentina and Australia? I think my, probably one of the biggest takeaways. I just really hope Brandon Elvis and Rafa's with the World Cup because like, he wasn't biased. He's just chaotic. Like, he just. Yeah. Doesn't blow certain things. I mean, that breakdown was an absolute mess for the whole game. And then he just like blew random knock-ons and then just wouldn't blow certain forward passes. And you just like, you have no idea what you're going to get or like how to play against it. And, and I think the New Zealanders obviously adapted to him a lot better at the Rucks than we did. I think it's, it's often one of our problems that we don't react well and read the refs and then match them. But I mean, like, like to have two, 11. two players, um, get penalties for like lazy running when every single other ref would have just blown Aaron Smith up for passing into the bridge player, you know, like it's just such a French thing. Um, but yeah, it's just that, that as I said, I'm, you know, the New Zealand were comfortably the better team and they deserve the win. So it's not bashing the ref. It's just, yeah. I don't like ref, French refs because they <laughs> blow weird things. <laughs> I, I was I was so frustrated with the lack of properly rolling away from yeah. you know, New Zealand. It was mostly their locks because they they he, they eventually gave away a penalty, but it was like the third or fourth time in a row where I think it's like mostly Retallick, um, but maybe some of the other guys too. But they roll away, but they like purposefully almost roll away to get in the way. So obviously Faf is going to still want to get the ball away as quick as possible, but he's being slowed down. So if you're getting slowed down, it should be penalizable. And it's like, it looks like it's part of the strategy, but it's really, really frustrating. Um, and something like that. I, I think I'm game. very sure it is part of the strategy. And, and most yeah. other refs are a lot sharper on that type of stuff. Yeah, um, exactly. So if, if Khaleesi was playing, do you think he would have managed the ref better than Yebin? Oh, it's a tough one. Um, and managed the team I, when we went down after a try in four minutes. It, it did definitely look like there was something missing in terms of the leadership, uh, from being able to bounce back. And maybe that's harsh on Evan especially, but obviously compared to the World Cup without Khaleesi, without Fermulin, um, those yeah. being like the, you know, the key leadership figures and Pollard and Pollard in the back line. He's like the, you know, captain of the, he's the vice captain. Yeah. Or yeah. vice captain. That works too. <laughs> um, <laughs> definitely something missing. And I, it's hard to knock Eben or his leadership, not just because of, you know, the occasion and what had happened in the week. But, um, yeah, there, there was something missing. And maybe that's more, you know, from Khaleesi slash Dwayne slash Pollard. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's fair. I feel like Eben is probably a fantastic squad leader and he leads from the front and in his sort of role model way. But someone like a Dwayne or a Sia, I think would manage the ref better and the game better as a leader. So, I mean, you need different leadership figures in your team. Um, Eben, I don't think will be, you know, a first choice captain. Although if, if Sia doesn't come right, then there needs to be a very difficult conversation uh, who sure. takes up that mantle. Cause I think that was missing. Which is why I asked the question. I was, 
surprised that Etzebeth had, had this was the thirteenth time he's captain South Africa. I didn't realize it had been that many. Mm. That is a lot, yeah. I, I would. I wonder if Pollard was available. If he would be the default captain after, because um, I like Pollard's yeah. leadership style and I like his interaction with refs. I was gonna say, like in terms of the ref, like talking, he's to just the very ref, calm and yeah. cool, and and even still, like despite everything, as as we know from like opposition fans, even still has a reputation of you know just like being. Um, yeah, hot-headed, even though he hasn't shown it, like, nearly anywhere near as much as when he was younger. But that still is there, and maybe even in the ref's mind. So, like, having someone like Pollard helps in that in that aspect, too. Yeah, although Eben does. And that's but... probably something you, you don't want Eben to have to um, rein in to be more of a good cop, you know? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Eben's meant to play that bad, controlled bad cop role. And, you know, like, for example, that, that Michael Alatoa, um, Alatoa Al- 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 interaction, he can't do that if he's captain. But we don't want him to not do that. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, so I think it's, I'd rather have a Dwayne or a Pollard be the captain, or even an Um be the captain, and then let Eben be Eben, than have, have Eben have to rein himself in to, to fill that captaincy role. It does. It does send wonderful intimidation factor to the coin toss having Eben Etzebeth there. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. you saw that video, I think, of the under twenties, the Australia England game, where you've got uh, Lewis Chesson, the English lock, towering over the English cap, the, the Aussie captain, who just looked like a child, looking <laughs> like in the headlights next to this <laughs> scary, chavish English dude. Yeah. I mean, that Chisholm or whatever his name is is massive for a under twin. I mean, he, yeah, he looks like he's ready to make that step up now. I assume he's Ollie Chisholm's brother. Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can, I can only guess, but yeah, um, he is, he's a big lad. And so, you know, that, that, that's a, you can imagine, you know, if you have a, the coin toss of DuPont and Etzebeth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Andrew, any closing remarks on the game from your side? I just think it's going to be interesting to see what the coaches do before the World Cup now because there's, we thought it was quite a clear idea of who our first team was and who our best players were and who we would choose in a World Cup final. And those, there's fantastic talent coming through and some of our top players in inverted commas are not in form. So how much they're going to stick to predetermined plans and how much they're going to be flexible and allow selection on form. Uh, it will be very interesting to see. Yeah. 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 It's going to be an interesting two weeks because I'm sure we'll hear some of the thought process from interviews and such. But, um, until then we will have to wait and see. But, uh, there was also another game in the rugby championship, uh, this weekend between hopefully what we would, we'll see as the, battle for third and fourth in the rugby championship but it was australia hosting argentina um in melbourne and it was a very exciting at least finish to the game argentina prevailed 34 31 after scoring a last minute try which was preceded by an interception which looked like australia had stolen it at the death but only for argentina to come back and win um andrew you said you saw the match what we your any brief thoughts from it so i think Australia started well and then <clears throat> lost Len Ikital. Uh, he's got a fractured scapula. He's out for up to eight weeks now. 
that's a huge loss for them. But in in the game, they then brought on Carter Gordon, and their back backline was a little bit unbalanced. So I think they they suffered from that. Although Gordon himself, they had a, yeah, was, they had a six two split, which didn't help. And yep. yeah, <laughs> we we called that. Um, but for me, overall, Argentina were the better side and deserved the win. Australia had a couple of very lucky moments. Um, you could call them moments of brilliance from Nwanka Di Dawase in particular with his intercept and also his quick tap, which just caught the broken play. But it wasn't dominance being rewarded. Um, I think Argentina were the better side through the game and deserved the win. So good for them. Yeah. And uh, I think you saw some of the game at least. Any other thoughts? Um, yeah, I just like the RG's got it done. Um, I think there's, there is just a lot of, a, lot, a big gap between them and, and the rest of the top teams as, as the rankings show. Like, mm. neither of those guys are, neither of those teams are, are, should be in the conversation for winning the World Cup apart from, you know, the, the luck of their draw, but, you know, they aren't the strongest teams out there. But it's, it's, it's a horror start for Eddie Jones, not from two. And if you think about his next five games are New Zealand, New Zealand, France. It's tough to see him going into the World Cup with any momentum. I mean, not out of five is that's the last start you could possibly want going into a World Cup, and and quite likely conceded you know upwards of two hundred points by then or something. Yeah, I mean, I I don't follow too many Australian accounts on Twitter, but uh, it's fair to say that they're in a very very negative space right now. Um, this close to a World Cup, it was as we spoke about a massive gamble to go for Eddie Jones and this is not the start that they needed or wanted. Um zero from two, especially home against Argentina. Oof, that's uh that's a tough one tough one to take. So and I think Argentina, to be fair to them, are also missing some players. So they have some players who were involved in the French top fourteen playoffs who are still to come back. Um so I still can't understand or get my head around why this they seem to get all their big wins away from home but it's something that happens and well done to them to get another win in australia um their group they're you know they're playing england and japan so they look like they should be able to make a quarterfinal and who knows from there um there was a andrew do you think argentina yeah i was just gonna say for for michael checker I read an interesting stat that when he was coaching Australia and Eddie Jones is England, uh, Eddie Jones got it over him seven to none. And now he's got his first win against Eddie Jones as a coach, which is very cool for him in Australia against Australia. So he must be feeling pretty pumped right now. That, that's quite a cool little stat for him. And he was obviously also in charge when Argentina beat England at the end of last year. Um, yeah. when Eddie Jones in one of his last games, was it his very last game? It might have been, uh, not, no, no. yeah. Uh, it was definitely at the end, in the end of year tour, but you know, that might have been the camel, the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> a little bit of a nice feeling for Checker there. Um, yeah, so we, again, uh, we'll be playing Argentina in two weeks and then Australia will be playing New Zealand at the same time. So a tough one for them. Um, before, we, before we leave, anything you'd like, want to say, Ant? Yeah, I just think it's good to mind it's not doom and gloom. Um, I think there's enough positives that we can be excited for the World Cup. Yeah, I think uh, despite the loss, you know, like we said, first game, time to build, things to look forward to, uh, a bit of more cohesion to create. So definitely not all doom and gloom. Do you agree, Andrew? 
yeah, I, I'm still pretty excited about Springbok rugby and where it can go and what feeling like this is the end of the road for us for the World Cup and what I mean. And none of that, none of that doomsday stuff is true. I mean, the Springboks are still one of the top teams in world rugby and can beat anyone on their day. So we, it's, it's just down to now coaching and selections in my, in my, in my uh, opinion. Yeah. That sounds good. Um, we will be back with you next week uh, as we look forward to Springboks playing Argentina in two weeks time. Um, but yeah, thanks for joining. That's all for now. Cheers.